Welcome to episode 230 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael, and with me today are Ryan and Jill. On this week's episode of DL, we're going to be talking about our favorite distros so far in 2021. So for all the distro hoppers out there, you don't want to miss this one. <laughs> then we take a look at Google's flock tracking concept, which is claimed to bring targeted ads into a privacy-preserving future. Mm. We'll, dis- we'll discuss why a lot of people don't seem to be flocking towards this idea. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux. In the community feedback this week, we go to the DLN forum at dlnforum.com, and there we found an intriguing question from community member Gimakaru. And I have this uh, constant urge to install new distros, not because I need them, not because I think they will be better, but just to experience them firsthand. It's certainly fun, educational in a strictly trivial sort of way, and potentially useful. I see a lot of YouTube channels doing this, which is somewhat reinforcing my behavior as a normal thing to do. So is it a hobby? So this is an interesting topic to be, we wanted to put on the show. And uh, first of all, there's many reasons to distro hop. And I know that we all, well, not me much, uh, but there's a lot of people on the show who distro hop. So uh, Ryan and Jill, what are your thoughts on this? Is, is distro hopping, is that kind of a hobby? I think it is. I mean, I started out in Linux and distro hopped constantly. It was like an addiction. Every week, if I didn't have a new distro, there was something terribly that went wrong in my week. If I didn't have probably have three new distros in that week, something terribly went wrong. It became, if you remember the earlier episodes of Destination Linux, where I would do extreme distro hopping. Yes. Like right before the show, I would be hopping to a new distro to try out. And I think that's part of the, when you get into Linux, because I'm the youngest one as far as knowing uh, or being in Linux here, having the most least amount of experience in Linux. Um, it's one of those things where you finally have the ability to have choice that you didn't have when you were in Windows or other operating systems. So you have mm-hmm. this choice and you want to flex it. And I think it takes a while for you to learn what it is you like, what your preferences are, what different um, developers kind of change in the desktop environments or tweaks they make or software. So I find it not only to be a hobby, but it helped, did help me learn a lot. I had to overcome a lot of issues when distros didn't install correctly. I had to find the software and things that ran behind the scenes that's not in the software repository that allowed different elements and sound and pulse audio and things to work in some distros and not in others. There's just a lot of configs and settings and differences between them all. So I think it is a learning experience. I think it is something that's fun to do. At a certain point, though, it did slow down tremendously for me, especially probably in the last year and a half, where it kind of got to the point where I'd seen everything that I really felt I could see in all of these different distros Mm -hmm. and understood enough of the back end and the um, different elements that make up the the Linux infrastructure that it really wasn't teaching me anything new. It was just causing me unnecessary amounts of work through the week. Yeah. Um, so it slowed down tremendously, but I still enjoy it. I still enjoy going back to certain distros mm-hmm. at times and trying them out for months, but it lasts much longer than it used to. But I think it's totally a great hobby. Yeah, this is a, uh, this is a really interesting point. And I think that there is definitely something worth on talking about in terms of like your eventually slowing down part of it, because I want to talk about that. But Jill, I am very curious. Like <laughs> We've talked to you about diff- many different distros and many different window, window managers, and I, I assume you have to be a distro hopper. Oh, yeah. Actually, okay. mostly with window managers. Uh, so you're a window <laughs> but, manager hopper. I got you. Yeah. Gotcha. So on my main machines, I usually keep, you know, the same Ubuntu or Debian based distros. Sure. But I have lots of test machines uh, for, you know, testing out distros. And part of that is for, you know, podcasting and reviews. But also just because I want to, I want to learn about all the distros out there and what they they offer. And because actually what happened with me is when I started using Linux in the early 90s, there weren't any distros to hop. You just started yeah. using them as they came out. <laughs> so, so, and then in the 90s, when we had distrowatch.com uh, came into the scene and you had lots of distros to finally choose from, 
that's when I started, you know, doing a lot of hopping. <laughs> Distro watch used to be an addiction for me, Jill. Like I used yeah. to be on that site like three or four times a day looking at what new distro came out that I could download the ISO for and start running. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. I've been I went through that too. I have I still have all the distros on CDs and DVDs. <laughs> I need to talk to you about some old stuff, like maybe get some old if you got some old uh ISOs for uh Mandrake or something, I kind of want to play with that. Oh yes. Yeah. I know it's not really that practical but i want to anyway it's really interesting <laughs> that y'all mentioned distro distro watch because uh it's funny because i don't distro hop really at all but i do go to distro watch every week at least a few times yeah uh, i don't see I, what's new <laughs> yeah it's actually i want to see the stuff but i don't do the hopping part but it is it is interesting because I'm, I'm not a distro hopper i used to be uh, i used to be heavily when i first got into linux in the same way that ryan was uh, but it's been a while since I distro hopped consistently, and, and it's uh, the thing you were talking about earlier about you eventually slow it slowed down for the hopping, and that is the case for me in, in a lot of like massively because I've been doing it so long, and I I started in a period where there was a bunch of distros, so I kind of got that out of my system really quickly. But mm -hmm. I still occasionally <laughs> did the distro hopping. But now in the past year, I've used three, maybe four different distros, and for me, that's a lot. But before that, you know, like uh, this, I was using the same distro for like three years the whole time without jumping whatsoever. And mm -hmm. it, it, it takes a lot. That's to, madness. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it takes a lot to convince me to hop these days, uh, not because I don't like trying new things, but just because I, I don't want to go through the process of setting up my system. I have a relatively complicated workflow. Uh, yeah. Late last year, I was convinced by one of our patrons to try out Fedora, though. Well, I, I hopped to Fedora after the words so and it was it has been an interesting experience and there have been a lot of things that i've found about fedora that i'm a big fan of uh, but it took them quite a while to convince me to try it um actually neil are you there uh, how long do you think it took yeah. to get me to try fedora oh uh let's see i think <laughs> i finally got you to say yes in mid-August, and it took about three weeks to finally needle you into actually doing it. Right. And <laughs> right. The reward, the only reason I got you to finally pull the trigger was that you were going to get a badge out of it. And so you did, because you got the, the ButterFS badge, you were able to, we got you to switch mm -hmm. uh, with the Fedora Linux 33 beta. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I remember that. So Wait, about you got a badge. I never got a badge. Well, yeah. you, you didn't do the beta. You went to thirty three. Uh, the rafter was released, I think. Right. So that I remember that now. I did get the badge. I do have that. It's like another ButterFS badge, and uh, it's it's got just real quick. It's got a butter on a hard drive as the icon. It's I'm so jelly anyway, right now. Just, you can't have the badge. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but it, what's funny is that I did install fedora for the that badge in the beta and whatnot and then about three weeks later i switched to using it so i did get it and then another three weeks later so it's about a month month and a half <laughs> or so before i actually switched so me switching is not you know it's not often like i said I, I do like trying out new stuff but my workflow is so custom that it took me that long to move it all so over <laughs> yeah so <laughs> i just can't be bothered with setting it up over and over and over well now with con save does that make you more likely to start distro hopping and things because i know you're yeah. a kde <laughs> fan but it's ability inherent to actually like export its settings is not very user friendly but Conse fixes that. So, okay. um, yes, that's a that's a good point. <laughs> uh, the, the the main reason I don't hop is because I have a very customized workflow and I don't really want to go through the process of setting it up over and over. But Consave does, in theory, solve that problem, and I don't have it anymore. So I guess what I'm I guess you're going to become a distro hopper again. I, yeah. Okay, I might have there to start go. dipping my toes back into the distro hopping world, but not necessarily <laughs> become one exactly, because I'm happy with Fedora, and, but it might just be fun to jump back in and actually play with different things because I don't have to go through the process of setting it all up again every time. So uh, that's a good point about Consave. I, I might <laughs> start hopping at least a little bit, like a bunny hop. Good. Maybe bunny. we'll actually okay. get Michael on Slackware Plasma. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, Cannot wait. We'll see. Exciting news coming <laughs> next episode. We'll see. <laughs> well, we love hearing from our worldwide community. And what we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. Fill it with some coffee or bubbly. 
Those are the official drinks of Destination Linux. Sit down on the nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join in the community discussion right from our forums, like we pulled here, then join the DLN community forum by going to dlnforum.com. There's lots of interesting and fun topics out there that people are discussing all week. And this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their new app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform service is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. DigitalOcean's app platform has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, and static sites. What does all that mean? Well, you simply point your GitHub or GitLab repository and let the app platform do all of the heavy lifting for you. It handles the infrastructure, app runtimes, dependencies. So you just push code into production. They do the rest of the work. Pretty much like everything on DigitalOcean, it's click and you're done. Secure apps automatically. They create, manage, and renew your SSL certificates and also protect your apps from DDoS attacks. They do all of that for you. You run code with little to no customization at all. And the best part, as a listener to Destination Linux, they're going to give you a free $100 credit to go try this out. So if you have an app, you want to list it out there so other people can use it and play with it and run it on this app platform, you can do that with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN and get started right now. And if you don't have an app that you want to run, but you want to run some servers, DigitalOcean is amazing for that. Amazing. Most people know them for their amazing cloud servers out there that you can run and have it set up in just minutes. So go to do.co slash DLN. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Is it June? Is it is it June already? There's no way. It's yeah. January oh still. My gosh. It's got to be January. That's weird. <laughs> Huh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, this year has seen to be just flown by. Uh, it's time for us to, you know, look at what are our favorite distros of the year. We do this kind of yeah. on a annual, yeah. biannual thing, you know, whatever. Uh, but every six months in, we just, we just thought it'd be interesting to do it to check out what our favorite distros are. And just to be clear, this doesn't mean that we don't, if we don't mention a, a specific distro, right? It's not, we're, we're not saying it's not a great distro or that it doesn't deserve to be recognized or whatever. It's just things that are on our minds as like being our favorites for this year. So there's, Quite a lot of distros that there's no way we could spend time on every single one of them. So I think we all picked like two or something like that to like be our picks for this. this one. What is your favorite for favorite distro for 2021 so far and why? And I guess we'll talk about to uh, start with Ryan. Well, I've been rolling with Fedora 34. Neil convinced me. We're gonna all blame Neil, right? That's the yeah. thing we all blame. Yeah, Neil convinced me to try. Fedora. I, I'm absolutely in love with Fedora, um, but I don't think that's really news to many people. I think what was news to a lot of people, though, is that I actually really started digging GNOME. And I think that I was able to get it to work with my workflow quite well. And as a lover of XFCE, right? That's my baby. That's the desktop environment that I love the most. It is very different flow and environment altogether, but I was able to get used to it. And I think they've done a lot of great work there. Um, the other thing I want to say about Fedora is that because of this GPU shortage, uh, Michael knows that I switch out my hardware and my machines. Usually every three to six months, I have completely new hardware, but yeah, I can't do that hardware. anymore. Yeah. Rolling <laughs> release hardware. And so I would switch between NVIDIA, AMD, just trying out different things, but I've been stuck on NVIDIA since this GPU shortage and haven't been able to, not that that's a bad thing, but I've been stuck there and haven't been able to try anything else. Traditionally, I enjoyed AMD's GPUs because of the fact that the support is so good built into the kernel. You don't have to have these proprietary drivers it's on top. It's absolutely incredible <laughs> um, from AMD, whereas NVIDIA, you got to have that those drivers and things working. And a lot of distros don't do it right. And what's impressed me so well with Fedora is that it's been flawless with NVIDIA. And they have been able to incorporate it in such a way that all of my gaming and, of course, all of the editing and cinematics and things that I have to do with my GPU have been flawless in there. So huge shout out to Fedora. Really have been enjoying my ride. But something else has stuck on my radar recently because of my switch to HP hardware. And unfortunately, HP needs to do some work with their compatibility with Linux. They're not at the Dell Lenovo level yet. But I love HP. And I did a video on this because of their incredible reputation when it comes to not using forced and slave labor within their supply chain. So I have a lot of HP products right now. And specifically, I love the HP Omen. And unfortunately, a lot of distros, not just Fedora, but name them, 
do not work really well with the HP Omen. There are certain things that don't work. The touchpad, the Wi-Fi kind of shuts on and off and things. So it had me searching and going back to my roots of Arch because there's just a lot of customization there. And I found Garuda Linux. In fact, I think it came from a listener originally yeah, we, uh, that sent it in. Feedback. They, they talked about they wanted us to find out, like to try out Garuda Linux. So you yeah. took the challenge. What did you I think? I took the challenge <laughs> and I put it on the HP Omens and whatever they're doing in there with their Linux Zen kernel runs flawless on an HP Omen. I mean, the Wi-Fi, the touchpads, everything is enabled by default there without doing any tweaking. It's extraordinarily fast. Like we're talking 20 to 30 frames per second more in gaming than wow. other distros out there with this yeah. Zen kernel. So it just squeezes <laughs> the performance out of these machines like nothing I've seen before. And it really reminded me of why I like rolling distros like Arch. While they're not for everybody, I wouldn't want new users and things just going out there and installing it. They are incredible. Arch can just really get some amazing performance out because of some of the tweaks that these developers are doing using Linux Zen kernel, of course, on top of that. So I'm in love with Garuda Linux. I'm so in love with it, in fact, that I even moved my main machine to it recently here. So I'm on Garuda Yay. Linux right now. I'm going to be doing some videos on it. I set it up yesterday. It took me an hour to move everything over uh, just to try it out. And I loaded uh, Doom up, the 2016 version. Is it 2016? Mm. Still, I think it Vulcan. came out. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> in Vulkan, of course, and was running like 147 frames per second in the high settings there this morning. I mean, it was just screaming. So it's just a really cool distro. I'll get into it more in a video, but Garuda Linux definitely is my, uh, Fedora and Garuda are my picks so far for 2021. That is really interesting. And also, I mean, you were talking about the GPU shortage and it made you kind of, you had to deal with like running around and trying out new things. And, you know, that kind of made you look into Garuda Linux. So you're saying that, well, the, you know, it it's, there's a, bittersweet type of thing, right? For the hardware issues and that sort of thing in right. your particular case. So, but in a way you could say it's Garuda of them to be able to I knew a dad joke was coming. You were working it so <laughs> I was I was, I was trying to get there. I was trying oh to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I do think that it's really cool that you're trying out Garuda Linux in that way because I'm, I'm very curious to see what your experience is overall, especially since one of the main things I like about uh, Garuda Linux is that they have a, a good focus on uh, KDE Plasma, which is nice. Uh, mm -hmm. And also, I know. And, and, and what's interesting is that in addition to you know Fedora and uh, Garuda <laughs> Linux, they're both ButterFS uh, distributions. That is the cool thing yes. about this particular thing mm -hmm. that I need to mention. Garuda is ButterFS and they have snapshots built in by default, which takes a lot of the pain, potential pain a lot of people have with Arch away that, hey, something could break. Well, you can always roll back because of their ButterFS and snapshot implementation, which is part of their welcome and setup program. They've done a lot to make Arch very user-friendly uh, in this look. Now, the look is not for everybody. I think somebody called it kind of like a candy neon type theme and stuff that they have yeah. in there. <laughs> so it, it is very cyberpunky. Little cyber. That's a really good word for it. a little cyberpunky <laughs> out there. Um, but I dig it. I love it because, you know, I'm big into the cyberpunk stuff. So that makes sense. Well, I love Garuda so much. I just installed it on a new toy. And this is. Look at that. Look at the pink. It's the pink MSI Prestige 14-inch laptop. Ooh, ultra portable. Nice. But you can game on it. It's oh, one of wow. the gaming laptops. It's got a G GTX 1650. It, it, it's not a uh, uh, 2060 like Ryan has on, on his, right. one of his, uh, his uh, HP Omens. Omens. But, but because of the, the size, it's under three pounds. That's oh, nice. incredible. Yeah. It I looks, love the look of that laptop. Yes. Yeah, that's very nice. And I just, I had to have the, this. I'd been drooling over this laptop when it came out, you know, last year because of the beautiful pink color. I wanted a pink computer. Of course you did, Jill. We know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and yeah, so it's just under three pounds, 2.83 pounds. And it's one of the slimmest and lightest gaming laptops available and looks like a classic you know ultra portable business laptop but you can game on it <laughs> yeah nice i really like and that did you have any other distro on it before you put garuda on it out no. of curiosity you, you were like went, i'm putting garuda on this yeah right. yeah i did um i did test out a few um other live distros so the goal was to find one that would boot 
with the NVIDIA Prime um, out of the box. Because th this has, you know, an NVIDIA GPU and then also a, an Intel VPU. And, you know, I actually had a hard time uh, finding a distro that would boot without issues on it. And um, what was so cool is Garuda, you know, just did the trick. Even the live USB let me boot with the onboard Intel HD VPU or the discrete NVIDIA GTX 1650 GPU, right? I want to go into Grub. that a little second because one of the interesting things in their initial boot install is, you know how um, like Manjaro and others will boot up and say, do you want non-proprietary or proprietary driver in your option? Yeah. And I always thought for a new person, they're not going to know what the heck that even means. But right. Garuda changes that to actually say, do you want to use the open source drivers or do you have NVIDIA? And then yes. you choose the NVIDIA option and boom, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's there. Or so do it you have NVIDIA? <laughs> yeah. It just like, yeah. I'm like, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. So, you know, I did try several live uh, USBs, including uh, the Ubuntu distros, but on this machine, you know, it is very new and not that many people have used Linux on these. I, I, I had to set up no mode set and do all that just to boot it. But with Garuda, it worked out of the box. Very interesting. And also, Fedora 34 worked out of the box. Nice. <laughs> so, of nice. course. <laughs> I love it. Nice. So, yeah. So, I installed Garuda. And, um, you know, I've had such a great experience. And I installed it. And it's not just because it worked with the hardware. I, I really wanted to test it on this laptop even, you know, before I, you know, had some issues getting Linux working on it. Is I just absolutely love the cyberpunk punk neon look and feel of the distro and it's the perfect match for my new pink gold laptop i love how you match your distro <laughs> yeah. to your computer each individual computer yeah that's awesome nice but yeah ryan i like like you were saying is i just love the the neon pink orange purple and blue icons and the modern glowing background you know yeah. it just it complements this laptop very very well and, I always have this yeah. love for Arch, namely because I can say, by the way, I use Arch. Jill, now yes. you, you can Arch. say that too. I mean, that's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> um, but I always needed a distro that I could tell people <laughs> that still had that rolling hardware support, enough of it, mm -hmm. that you could run it on the most modern hardware. And that's where Fedora fits in perfectly. And yeah. if you want to play and you want to do you know, gaming and you want to tweak every performance you can out of your machine, that's where Garuda, for me, comes in to play. It's kind of that... Exactly. That the tweaking. latest and greatest. Yes, yeah. absolutely. On the, <laughs> on the cutting edge of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things I want to say about Fedora, you know, which, uh, you know, as I said, also booted without issues on the laptop was is that it would use, you know, the onboard Intel GPU when it booted and then you'd install the nvidia drivers it, you know if you wanted that the beauty of fedora 34 it has it has brought so much innovation to the linux ecosystem and proves that wayland and pipewire can just work out of the box yeah in butter very FS. important in release butter, butter FS FS. was made fun of yes <laughs> all the time until fedora picked it up and then now everyone's like oh okay yeah butter fs is cool yeah i think uh, i think but uh garuda was created re fairly recently i think i'm not sure when they were made because they got on my radar pretty recently anyway and uh, i think it's really interesting that they have butter fs and now we have like yeah. many different options that are butter fs and prior to fedora doing it now garuda doing it there was only open susa for a long time and you know people would make fun of ButterFS because only one distro did it. And, but at the <laughs> same time, that's because they didn't really try it. They just you know did the whole thing about like you know some people had a bad experience and just kind of perpetuate a myth kind of thing around ButterFS. But ButterFS is really cool. And I did an upgrade from thirty four to th thirty three to thirty four for Fedora. And I was thinking mm -hmm. like I want to make sure I have a, a snapshot now that there's not a built-in snapshot because they're working on making it roll back more cleanly and stuff like that. But because they're using different tools for this kind of thing, which is really cool about ButterFS, you can have multiple tools do this function. But you can manually yeah. create snapshots in ButterFS at any point as long as you have it installed. So I created a snapshot, and the snapshot is like I don't know six kilobytes of data because it's just it's basically just metadata to put roll back if you need to, and it was really really nice. But I didn't have to use it. But it was cool that I could if I needed to. No, uh, I've never used the snapshot feature because I've never had to, which yeah. speaks volumes about its stability. But knowing it's yeah. there, especially yeah. in an arch world too, it is very nice to know. It's very yeah. cool. And Garuda installs it, has time shift by default. Right. And I did play with it and it worked very well. 
<laughs> yep, absolutely. That's a nice machine, Jill. You're going to get a lot yeah. of fun out of that. Oh, this is going to go with me to the conventions I meet you guys at. <laughs> very, very cool. Nice. Can't wait for and that. I'll be, I'll be putting my DLN sticker on it too. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Then it will be perfect. Then, then it will be yes. perfect. Yes. All right, Michael, <laughs> your two favorite distros so far this year are drum roll. <laughs> not actually doing it for the messing of the microphone sound wsl really I, I didn't expect you to pick that one tell us why Michael. oh that's that's an interesting that's <laughs> it's interesting you say that because it's not remotely accurate so like i said earlier <laughs> i always i always like to learn new things and what I, th I think one of the things that makes me that makes me love doing this show and why it's so awesome is that we get to learn a lot of new stuff all the time because every week we're trying out new things and in my case not necessarily distros but uh I, that kind of isn't true because of this year i'd said about three or four one of those is fedora and the other one is open and I, I've learned quite a bit for these yeah. things, and there's so many cool things about Fedora. And since using it, I think both Fedora and OpenSUSE are very underrated. Like, there, there's so many cool things about both of those distributions, and they don't get a lot of attention, and they deserve it for sure. Like, one of the things that I found out about Fedora recently, mm -hmm. in the past seven months or so of using it, eight months or so of using it, something like that, uh, it was that KDE, is there, there's a spin on Fedora that's for KDE. And I always thought and always looked, I mean, for the past, I don't know, seven years or something, I always looked at Fedora as being a GNOME-specific distribution where they only focused on GNOME. And this past year, I, I realized that, uh, well, it was, I was informed that uh, KDE is a very critical part of Fedora 2. So they have two main spins. One is called Workstation and one is the Fedora KDE spin, but the KDE side still has... Uh, as much of a critical aspect of it. So the Fedora releases won't come out unless the KDE spin is good to go. So it's kind of like a release blocker is what it's known. That is like, it blew my mind to find that out. So mm. when I switched to Fedora, I was like, when I basically, that was the reason I switched to Fedora. I was like, Oh really? That's it's a, it's actually that important. Okay. Maybe I'll give it another shot. Then I did. And it's, it was, it blew my mind. It's so good. And that's the same kind of thing that uh, OpenSUSE has done. Like OpenSUSE Tumbleweed specifically is uh, so impressive with its rolling release nature. Like you were talking about how you like rolling releases and that sort of stuff. There are really mm -hmm. cool things about OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. The fact that it has ButterFS. It has snapshot <laughs> rollbacks. It has all that stuff we were talking about. It also has a bunch of cool like structures in the way it handles those releases. And that I did a, a random test that I, I assumed this would fail. It didn't, but that's why it's awesome. I waited like six, seven months to update a Tumbleweed install to like have thousands. Uh, I think there was like 2,700 packages or something like that. Thousands of packages to update and see what happens. And it did it smoothly. Like it just, Beautifully. it just did it. Oh, nice. It asked me a bunch of questions to, to make sure that I was, you know, installing the right things and whatnot, but and it, it didn't ask you a bunch of questions. Like, are you insane? Why are you doing <laughs> this, Michael? Stop well, waiting this long. In between updates. I mean, the amount of questions were probably around the length along those lines. Cause it was yeah. 2000 packages or right. something like that. But it was, it was really interesting because as soon as I, I, I initiated it and said a yes to all of the things it, it did it. And then I assumed I'm going to boot it and it's going to break or whatever. And it was fine. It booted I like how you're fine. impressed with that. On Arch, I have 2,000 package updates every hour. I don't know what the big, <laughs> uh, yes, I don't know what the big deal is. Sure, sure buddy. Uh, yeah. so, it sounds kind of plausible. <laughs> but cool. the, the thing about OpenSUSE is that, you know, in addition to the leap part or the tubbleweed part, they also have the leap part. And there's a couple things I want to talk about that because leap has uh, like completely restructured the way it works in the sense that it is no longer a separate parallel development of SLE or the enterprise version. It's mm -hmm. using the same kinds of binary stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a big update. That is so so interesting because it allows you to have a you know an enterprise grade level distribution, but in the OpenSUSE realm, and that is that's just so cool. Plus, uh, I don't know sure how many people know this. You can purchase desktop support from SUSE for OpenSUSE Leap. Mm -hmm. And that is awesome. that is unheard of <laughs> in every other distribution that I've ever heard I've ever known. That you can actually like say, okay, you want to use OpenSUSE Leap. 
here's a phone number or email to call and get help or whatever. And you just pay like a, I think it's a annual fee or something. And you can hand some money over to someone else to do the support. That's pretty nice. That's awesome. <laughs> That's one of my favorite picks this year too, <laughs> too Michael. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we kind of love them all, don't we? I, yeah. To, oh, yeah. To, me, a lo- to me, a lot of this has to do with the engagement of a distro. For sure. Um, yeah. Looking back, uh, Canonical and Ubuntu used to really, I'm not saying they don't today, but they used to be one of the only ones really going out there and engaging with the community on a heavy level. Recently, Fedora has kind of taken that crown in my book, in my circles. They've taken that crown of they have folks going out and engaging with the community, talking, getting that feedback, taking risks, doing innovative things, and kind of pushing the boundary of what Linux can be on the desktop. Yep. And that's kind of one of the first criteria that I look for in a distro. And I think Fedora has done that the best this year so far out of the distros of getting out there into the community, whereas before they were pretty much silent on, in the desktop yeah. environment space. Yeah, I think OpenSUSE needs to do a little more work here. And I know they're working on that, of getting out into the community and talking to folks and really engaging with the audience, mm-hmm. uh, with the users to see what they're interested in and what they're doing. And to me, that makes all the difference in the world. When I see them reaching out, when I see them talking, when I see them joining shows, when I see them interested in what people are wanting in the desktop environment, that's what makes me more likely to hop to a new distro. Yeah, absolutely. I think you you, you nailed it. The The fact that the these distributions are putting in uh, you know effort to engage with the community, it's more people to see what they're doing. Like, There's a lot of cool stuff that OpenSUSE and SUSE have done for years that people are not even aware that it exists and mm-hmm. like I, I started digging in and finding these things and it was really cool i was like why are you not telling people about these you should tell people about this like these are really cool things and uh they did join us on an episode for destination linux uh Gerald yes. pfeiffer from susa joined us to talk about susa and what they've been doing so check that out if you want to learn more about open mm-hmm. susa and susa and also you can check out uh neil gompa joined us for uh, talking about Fedora 34, and, uh, and we also had Matthew Miller coming from Fedora. For, for, so we have a lot of options. We'll have that linked all in the show notes if you want to check out more details about the different distributions. And if you are a part of a distribution and you would like to be on Destination Linux, just send us an email. Literally, just email us. And I wanted to make a real quick, real quick point. Uh, in a chat, someone asked me about the screen, and I wanted to tell Ryan the MSI. Pr- Prestige. The, the one of the reasons I got this particular model is has an Ultra HD IPS display that's a hundred percent Adobe RGB. Nice. Wow. I wanted it for content recreation, and they didn't and put a junky screen in it. Congrats, yeah. MSI. That's awesome. I yes. love it. Wow. Now that was I, one of my reasons, you know, for getting this machine. I'm surprised it's not 1920 by 1080 and yeah. uh, 75 percent RGB, and uh, the, you know, the, everybody's like, "Oh, it's great because yeah, it's 144 the new hertz." Model, yeah, the new model this year was 1920 by 1080, and yeah. it was only mm. on board uh, VPU. It didn't have the discrete, so, so I, got, I had to get last year's. Yeah, good, good move, Jill. Good move. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was like, oh, I need that link. Oh, it's okay. Get last year's model. I get last year's link. Anyways. I want last year's yeah. link. <laughs> This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is a password manager, which is software that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are safe. And how does it do that? Well, Bitwarden provides a bunch of different tools. It has tools to automatically generate passwords because you need to have a password that is different for every account on every website that you go to because that's uh, if you have any kind of overlap, then if one gets compromised then anything else that uses that password gets compromised because you know it's just a don't do that just don't do that and that's why you need to get a password manager and specifically bitwarden because bitwarden is awesome you get the auto generation of passwords you get a password vault that you can store all of your passwords in you also get the ability to automatically fill in those passwords in login forms so you don't have to do it yourself and you can access all of this stuff across many different types of devices such as your web browser your desktop apps mobile apps even the command line if you want to do that and yeah, but Michael, I don't have an extra thousand dollars for a software this awesome. You're in luck then, Ryan, because with Bitwarden, you can get it for less than one dollar per month. 
For less, that's impossible. That's impossible. Yeah, right. Amazing. For for <laughs> for just ten dollars per year, you can get a premium account at Bitwarden. So go to bitwarden.com/dealing and you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health reports, Bitwarden authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. There is tons of great stuff. And as a quick note. Bitwarden also does all the encryption locally on your devices so that you know you're the only person who has access to your data. Bitwarden is fantastic, and not only because it has all these great features and because it's a sponsor of the De- of the Destination Linux podcast, which we do appreciate, it also is 100% open source software, yeah. and that is why we were so excited to have them as a sponsor on the show. They are 100% open source, so the code can be audited by the community and that sort of stuff. It's just fantastic. And again, for just less than a dollar per month you can get your account at bitwarden.com slash dln whether you want an individual account where you want an organizational account a business account all sorts of great stuff bitwarden.com slash dln and thanks again to bitwarden for sponsoring destination linux i'm signing up right now yes i mean (laughs) you say it kind of like robotic but it's because he already signed up years ago yeah i've been using it forever (laughs) i love bitwarden (laughs) so as many in our audience knows Google's Chrome browser has dominated the market, and yes, for years. So most stats Yuck. put Chrome's share between 65% and 70% of the market, and the next highest browser being Safari at about 18%. And I was a little surprised about the Safari one, but... I was too. <laughs> I guess it yeah. shouldn't have been because you yeah. got all the iOS devices and things, but I, I was pretty surprised yeah. by that. Yeah, same here. So, and uh, this domination, of course, gives Google incredible leverage to create and develop the standards for privacy and security, and even access to things like their APIs in Chromium based browsers. And Google is using its dominance to propose a suite of replacements for ad placement and data gathering. And one proposal is to replace the tracking cookie. And there are different types of cookies, but the general consensus is that tracking cookies are easily abused and everyone would like a replacement. So true. We would really like to get rid of those. (laughs) And uh, so Google's proposed replacement, which is actually now in testing, is called Flock, which is short for the Federated Learning of Cohorts. That is such Flock. a sketchy name. Like it's, I know. It I know. It, it bothered me. <laughs> they didn't even try to make a nice name for it. Like usually <laughs> terrible things have a name that's happy. Like yeah, right? save your children cookie replacement thing or right? something. This it's, one's just like the federated army. Yeah. Of yeah, or they they could have called it Cookie Monster or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But like all these weird, like when I, when I first saw that, I was like, Flock. Okay. What does this mean? Federated learning of cohorts. That just sounds... Flocka, flocka. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Flocka, flocka. <laughs> We're not a flock of birds, literally. Right. <laughs> so, flock of seagulls. Flo- yes, flock nice. of seagulls. <laughs> so, flock is meant to be a way to make your browser do the profiling, profiling that third party trackers used to do themselves. In this case, boiling down your recent browsing activity into a behavioral label and then sharing it with websites and adver- advertisers. You know, this to me, it just it just sounds like Google's tracking AI that puts you in a discrimination box. <laughs> it, it is kind of it does sound yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, it's really weird. And even even uh, Google states on their GitHub page for Flock is we plan to explore ways in which a browser can group together people with similar browsing habits so that ad tech companies can observe the habits of large groups instead of the activity of individuals. Ad targeting could then be partly based on what group the person falls into. <laughs> this is it's this is really interesting. So today <laughs> you have these cookies that sites can put on your machine that track you throughout all of the different locations you go. So when you close out Facebook, it's still watching you, if you will, and, and looking at the different um, traffic and websites that you go after you leave, leave Facebook. 
Yeah. So we, we need to replace this technology. And Google's coming in and saying, hey, we have this idea. Instead of individual cookies, right, we're going to take all these people and make groups of them. And the groups seem to be about a thousand people in each group. So these aren't massive groups. You're taking millions of people and putting them in, which might make it a lot less or, or more privacy. Well, they, real quick, they did say that the, the number of how many are in those cohorts hasn't been fully decided on. So yeah. it may right. be added later when Could people change. yell at them about it. So who knows? Yeah, that's a good point. And so, but as it is right now, it's about a thousand people go into these groups and then they say, okay, well, you uh, shop for pineapples and then you go to Netflix and you seem to be 30 years old. So we're going to put you in this group here and in these things. Now they have done some work on the discriminatory part, Jill, to move things like sensitive topics. Um, that they have listed out that they've made the rules for to decide what is a sensitive topic that you wouldn't want to choose to advertise. And I guess at yeah. the end of the day, while I applaud the idea of getting rid of cookies, this is something we've talked about on DL a lot, that the control, the reason why we talk about Firefox or using something with an engine other than Chromium is because the control is now all in one hand, one company's hand. Also happens to be a company that doesn't have the greatest privacy record, but regardless, even if it was Mozilla that had this much control of the market, I would be scared to death. No company should have this much control over the browser market. It doesn't right. matter what that company is. And because of that, they get to kind of decide this. And even if they implement it one way, they can change it a month from now, a year from now, mm -hmm. when advertisers decide, well, actually, we need more information or we need that thing that you think is private or was private when you launched, we need to know our customers that fall into this specific group. Yeah. And then you have things like fingerprinting and other stuff in here. So yes. it just seems like a really bad idea. Yeah, it sounds, there, there are certain parts of it that make me think like, okay, there's there's a little bit of potential, just like getting rid of the third-party cookies. Like, yeah, that's that's good. We need to get rid of that. I mean, I mean browsers are kind of already getting rid of that. I think they're doing this out of like necessity, because, you know, there's some browsers that are blocking tracking by default or they're blocking ads by default and stuff like that. And I think that they're kind of doing it like, well, how do we keep our ads going? Uh, so I think that, I mean, that's just my opinion. And it's a speculation, of course. They never said why they're doing this. They, they say because they want to preserve privacy while also still have ad tracking and whatnot. Like, uh, okay. Now, on the business side of things, people who are advertisers... The tracking concept does, like targeted advertising does sound incredibly appealing to an advertiser because you mm -hmm. can say, I only Absolutely. want people who are interested in this topic or I only want people who meet this demographic. For example, I don't want my ads for skateboards to go to 97-year-olds, you know, that kind of thing. I, I, it kind it, There is some level of, um, it may, there's some appeal to the targeted ad network. But it also is, you know, it's not like before targeted ads, we didn't have ads. They've been around for decades. And they and seemed, somehow they worked and yeah. people still sold stuff. And mm -hmm. they seemed effective. Yeah. You know? We had things like the Nielsen score for TV in which they would yes. take a group of people and they would <laughs> log what TV shows they watched. And this data would be used to determine the general appeal for age groups of stuff instead of invading everybody's life to help advertisers out. Yeah. And that's. That's yeah, such that's a good a really point, good Michael, concept. that you're bringing up that, you know, advertisers don't really need this control that they're asking for. Yes, it's nice, but not at the expense of everyone's privacy and security nice. It's not right. worth it. Mm -hmm. What we're trading for this stuff is just not worth it at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I, I like yeah. the idea on the advertiser side of it, but on the, the person advertised to no, I don't need some random blog to remind me of a thing I looked at on on Amazon or something. I don't. I don't need that. If I was to buy, if I was going to buy it, I would have bought it when I was already there. Or sometimes they'd be like, "Hey, you should check out this thing you already bought." Thanks. I guess that's yeah. weird. Uh, but th that stuff is is very weird. And the, my point was just mostly we don't necessarily need targeted ad. I get why people like it, but. We don't really need it. But you mentioned something that was kind of funny because you said the whole Nielsen ratings thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a random story that I just you just brought to mind. Mm -hmm. 
I just this week I got a letter in the mail about Nielsen ratings, trying to explain to me what the Nielsen ratings were and a, and asked me to be a part oh, of it. Oh wow! I have <laughs> never in my life ever had any idea how the Nielsen rating stuff worked because I've never participated in it. Yeah. And, and it, they sent me like a thing like, "What kind of TVs do you watch or TV shows do you like?" and things like that. I was like, "Oh, that's how it works then." Huh. Yeah. And they're gonna I've put you in twice. a bucket of nerd. If you want to advertise to nerds, this is where Michael. Well, I mean, I didn't fill it out. I did get it, but I didn't fill it. Right. Out. You, you, wow. you should. I, um, I might. I might. But it's it's it was just interesting. It's like oh, but this huh. is like saying, hey, advertisers, you know, what would be really helpful to target people. Dig through their trash and open all their mail, and then you could find out <laughs> who the perfect. And that's what they're doing to us yeah, to get this data that they have. The reason I don't like Flock is mm-hmm. because. Nothing they're doing yet. And, and in Google's defense, even though they've launched this and they're saying it's still an experimental phase, they've launched some testing of this. But in their defense, they're saying they're working on some of these things. But I don't know what that's going to mean. And I think that's why EFF and other orgs, including Mozilla and Vivaldi and all of these others have come out against this flock thing is yeah. because it actually makes it easier what they're doing. Oh, yeah, for sure. When you combine it with things like fingerprinting, now you've already created groups for me, and now I can use fingerprinting to identify that person inside of that even easier. Yeah, and you can, the group. That's actually expose. very important because of the the profiling thing. Like the, it sounds good that the group cohorts ID whatever rotates <laughs> once a week. Uh, it sounds like that's good. Like I'm not going to be in this group the whole time, but because that it's rotating, you constantly get new information as a as an advertising uh, tracking thing to be able to profile someone to sit this and if they this the site or whatever uses those like login as whatever account from Google or Twitter or you know Facebook login or that sort of stuff in a way they could identify you directly to a user and maybe even your person if you're using a Facebook login by the way don't use Facebook login just don't do that yeah, uh, no way but, <laughs> don't, but <laughs> like they can identify you like directly as who you are in those cases so in a way it's not better <laughs> like but, but like michael cookies are bad right i mean not all cookies but the type of tracking chocolate cookies chip that we're talking delicious. about here yeah. well peanut butter is the best cookie uh, not, i like salted caramel those are amazing too I mean, <laughs> they're pretty good but can we all agree peanut butter is the best it, it's good snickerdoodles yeah. awesome too you know come on okay but my point <laughs> is that for people who want to protect themselves today flock i, I think is going to flop but for people who want to protect themselves against the cookies, the targeted things today in browsers, what are some things they should do? Obviously, you can turn off in your browser if using Firefox and other browsers have this as well. You can turn off third-party cookie tracking yep. and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. You can turn off, right? tr- turn off third-party cookie. You can also do like some browsers have this, uh, like for example, Firefox has this new feature called Site Isolation. And yes. it's it's not on by default, but you can turn it on. We'll have stuff stuff in the show notes about how to do it exactly. But you go into about config or about colon config, and you turn on this one flag, and it gives you the ability. And now it will mean your system is going to use a little bit more resources to make this work. But what it does is awesome. And it's basically like there are some browsers that have a tab isolation, which a lot of people you know talk about is like the best security for browsers. Nuh-uh. Site isolation is the most, uh, it was really interesting. I like how you went to a three-year-old. Nuh-uh. 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 <laughs> Tell him Nuh-uh. So the way it works is that instead of doing it based on the tab, because the the when you have a tab isolation, there's, you have that iframe, like an embedded video for YouTube mm-hmm. or something. That's the same tab. But with site isolation, the domain is what's used to do the isolation. So if you have one tab that has an embedded URL and also the actual tab itself in a different URL, those are two different things being isolated. So that is what's really cool about it because it, it breaks it down even farther. Hopefully soon, Mozilla will turn on it for in general because I'm not sure why it isn't. I think it's I think it's not technically fully ready in every way or whatever, and that's why it's not. But uh, it is available in the standard release if you turn it on. So that's oh, one nice. thing you can do. Uh, there's quite a few. We also have one in the tips and tricks, right? Yes. That you want to yes. use. Yeah. So you got to wait for the tips yeah, and we tricks. Have a and we're going to give you another one that, that's very yeah. easy for anybody to implement. Oh. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, the good good thing about Flock is it is still experimental. And, you know, Google is is trying to address some of the concerns that people have. But they've already proceeded forward in testing. So, 
<laughs> just put, yeah. putting my uh privacy and security in google's hands <laughs> unfortunately has become a very scary thought but i hope that they actually do this with good intentions it looks like a lot of the stuff they're doing is open source so people can go look at it which i applaud right they're yeah. not keeping it all closed and things so there's some goodness here the concept is good it's just what are they willing to lose? The way they're implementing it, yeah. Or are they willing to lose anything? Because at the end of the day, their most of their revenue is made from targeted ads. So the <laughs> idea also, that they're the ones making the rules is pretty scary thought. Also, I think the white paper or something like that said something about how the advertisers would it, it would still be ninety five percent effective for targeting. So yeah. who that, watches The Watchmen? Yeah, <laughs> I mean Watchmen's a good movie though. Yes. You got it in the background. I noticed that. In our gaming section this week, my kids love playing tic-tac-toe on the restaurant menus. You know the kids' menus, which I don't know why we don't get them as adults because I want to do stuff and scribble right. and color things into. Right. Like, it's so stupid. Only kids get that. You know, now I'm just Rude. mad about that. Forget about the game. Yeah, yeah. But you know, on those kids' menus, <laughs> they have the tic-tac-toe section, which, you know, the circle and the X's. Oh, that's uh, how you play that game. <laughs> yes. You're welcome, Michael. <laughs> well, I, I used to let the kids win. Now they're becoming proficient at this tic-tac-toe game. So it's time to amp it up. It's time, to take it to, it's time to take it to a new level. And that's where a game pick of the week, there's six, uh, comes into play. T2.5. It's called T2.5. And what this does is... It features a 3D cube, so it takes it into the three dimensions in which you place your X's and O's. And the main goal is to achieve six-thirds of one symbol in a horizontal, vertical, or diagonal direction, where thirds are acceptable on cube sides only. Thirds do not wrap over the edge or over the corner of the cube. Third on the edge of the cube on two sides of the cube counts as one third only. Is that clear, Michael? hundred uh, percent. I got it. Let's do this. Let's Good. let's do this right now. You just have now. to play it. <laughs> yes, yeah, you just have to play it. Their description's horrid, and it's not that difficult. But it is a really cool concept. It reminds me very much of like the 3D chess in Star Trek. You remember Definitely. the 3D yeah. chess? Yeah. yeah, that's fun to play too. It's like taking a chess to the whole new level uh, out there, and this takes is takes X's and O's game. Uh, to a whole new level. And the best part is it's only 99 cents. It would be a fun game to play with your kids and um, get them to be thinking in the third dimension, right? That something's not just two-dimensional, but yeah. you could rotate it and see the X's and O's from all sides. Very cool cube. idea for that concept. I mean, it's it's when I first, when you first said we're going to cover something about tic-tac-toe, I was like, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I looked at it, I looked at it, I'm like, oh, okay, 3D, that makes it a lot more complex. And the whole Star Trek thing, absolutely. I thought about that as soon as, the, as, soon as I saw it. I was like, yes, third dimension. For, for some reason, let's do it. I should have yeah. really messed you all up and been like, our game pick of the week is tic-tac-toe and restaurant menus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's an interesting pick. I mean, yeah. is that on and Steam? it runs on Linux. <laughs> yeah. And the graphics are really nice. And one yeah, thing I really liked also is that you just use your arrow keys. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yep. It's simple. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Simple controls for a relatively simple game. Another thing I like is the spotlights. We just talked about mm -hmm. all the things you could do to protect yourself on, uh, on, on, the, on the web with your browser. Now, there is something that is not necessarily built into Firefox, but you can, do, you can add it as an extension. So this, week, this week's software spotlight is the Firefox extension multi-account containers. Now, this is awesome. It's one of my favorite features. It might even be my favorite feature of Firefox. It's my favorite feature yeah. of Firefox. It's awesome. Sure. it's awesome. We've mentioned it on the show here and there before, but it's never been a spotlight, and I thought this episode was its kind of too perfect not to be the spotlight. So mm -hmm. there are many great things about the multi-account containers, or a.k.a. container tabs, as some people refer to it as. So, for example, when the what exactly it is, it essentially allows you to be able to log into a single website with multiple different accounts at the same time. So let's say you have two different Mastodon, Mastodon accounts on the same instance. Well, with container tabs or multi-account containers, you can log in to both accounts at the same time, having them in di two different like uh, color-coded tabs side-by-side -side in your browser. This is really cool and opens up a massive amount of possibilities. And I... I if you want to know exactly how to do this sort of thing, then check out the link in the show notes where I, I made a video on my channel to explain exactly how to use this extension. But the reason it's on the spotlight is not necessarily what it can do, but more about how it does it. 
So these containers can help preserve your privacy in addition to all the other privacy-focused features in Firefox. And it does this by creating separation of logins, which also is creating separation of cookies in each container. This, this also separates the sessions of the containers, and it makes it so that you can isolate what sites can track you and how. See, you don't even need Flock when you have something like this. Yeah. Let me tell you how well this <laughs> works in a real world. First of all, download Firefox, set up the containers, and let's say you move YouTube to there and you put it under a container called Google Crap, like I have. And then what you do is, if how I know I'm in a container is I'll go off of that tab, open a new tab, and then I'll be like, oh, I want to check something on YouTube. I'll type it in. And it tells me, oh, you need to log in because it doesn't in the container, it's logged in already. In the non-container tab that's not contained in, there is no login information. There's no cookie. There's no storing of that data. So it's completely new. So then I have to open the Google crap container and then I can log in because that's where the cookie saves, but it separates those instances. So they can't see what's happening in the other tabs, what's going on with your with your stuff? Yeah, it's very cool, and I I, I think you should rename it to Eagle. You Google. Ew. <laughs> anyway, gross. <laughs> so let's say you got two sites, uh, like like Ryan was saying, you have like let's say for site A and site B. So in normal browser structures, if you go to site A and then site B, then with tracking enabled on those sites, the cookies can be tracked across the site. So for example, let's say you have a, mm. fire, a Facebook Pixel that is running on these sites. It's used for Facebook tracking. So if site A and site B both have Facebook Pixel, then it's you, if you go to the both sites, then Facebook will know that you went to both sites and also what path you took to get there. Though they have absolutely nothing to do with the sites or the paths or whatever, they still have the information because of the Pixel that is a on a lot of websites. Uh, so Facebook containers allow you to basically throw a brick in the process of that and there's even an additional add-on for Facebook itself. There's also one for Google, which is uh, it's, a, it's a fork of the Facebook one. But the Facebook container, it does all sorts of stuff. So it isolates Facebook in the same way that the container tabs does anyway. But also it, it uh, isolates every a site owned by Facebook. So if it's Facebook, Instagram, or whatever, it will automatically do things based on when you go to it. So whenever you go to these sites, it automatically pulls you into the container, regardless if you are already in the container or not. So when you leave the site, it also pulls you out of the container. So if you click a link to on, on Facebook and it takes you somewhere else, it pulls you out of the Facebook container. So the only thing Facebook knows that is you is that you left to that site. But once you do, so best else. option, don't use Facebook. Yes. Second yeah. best option, don't <laughs> use Facebook. But third best option, if you have to use Facebook, is, is, is to use put it in a container. Yeah. Well, specifically, yeah. having it in a different container is great, but the Facebook container other add-on is another wonderful thing to have because it allows you to do the automatic pulling in and out. You don't have to think about if you are using a Facebook. And sometimes you might even be on a website you didn't know was owned by Facebook and it, it knows. So it pulls you into it and takes you out and that sort of stuff. So it's 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 a great feature like that. And they also kind of like do a if you if they have a Facebook embedded like iframe or whatever, it will stop it from being able to recognize who you are. And that's really cool. So lots nice. of cool features in there. And there's also a bunch of other container extensions that are in it connected to it and add-ons that make it even better and all sorts of stuff. But anyway if you want to learn more about the containers, you can check out my video. Uh, I'll have it linked in the show notes. And the show notes is also where you'll find a link to the extension itself. So you can check it all out. Well, Michael, I'm going to really dig down into this web browser episode here. And my tip of the week do is going to be celebrating <laughs> the recent release of Firefox. I thought, let's maximize some of the... <laughs> talent that people have with their browser, some of the tools that are inside Firefox that people don't even realize. And I'm going to be the first to admit when me and Michael were talking about the, the show in the middle of the week, I was like, I didn't know some of this stuff existed. And I was doing research in here and was kind of blown away by some tools that I've just ignored entirely that are inside of Firefox. One of those is the eyedropper tool. Yeah. Now, we all know the eyedropper mm -hmm. is a tool that you can use in art programs and things like if there's a certain color you need to match. Uh, for text or logo or font or picture or anything else, then you use the eyedropper. It tells you what that color is. Well, Firefox has this built in. You simply click the hamburger menu in the right corner, scroll down to more tools, click the eyedropper, and you can get the color of any logo or background that you want right there yeah. and be able to utilize there's it. There's even really faster cool. way. Yeah. Hit F12 and there's a little eyedropper icon <laughs> that it. pops up. You just click that. Nice. Yeah, now, what's cool is that it used to be an extension and then they included it. Yeah. 
It was right what, the, the, web, the web developer extension. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in addition to the eyedropper, you don't need to waste your time with a separate screenshot tool either because Firefox has that built in. Simply right-click on any page you're browsing and select Take Screenshot. This will let you take whole screenshots or full screenshots easily and without having to open another program. This is actually something really cool because there's a lot of screenshot tools. All sorts of stuff have this. But the one thing I like about the way that Firefox does it, you can do a screenshot of individual elements on the website or the entire website itself. Yes. which is great. So if it's like a really long, long page, yeah, that you'd really have to scroll long, for. Yeah, it'll do the whole thing. It's fantastic. So that is awesome. So you don't have to, you can just skip all the step of scrolling and just have the whole thing. Nice. Yeah, I've been using that all the time. And also Vivaldi has that function as well. So I was really happy when, when Jill, Firefox. we're talking about Firefox. I Jill. know. <laughs> How well, dare well, you? Well, no, to be, I mean, That's I, awesome. I think Vivaldi <laughs> is a quite good browser and good on them yeah. for not being in favor of Flock. So there we go. Exactly. Yeah, good job, Vivaldi. Proud of you. <laughs> but Firefox love. But Firefox <laughs> is still the, is still well, my Well, just because precious. it's not based on Chromium, you know, that, that helps a yes. lot. That, is, that does help. Exactly. If, Vivaldi, Vivaldi is. if you want to, if you want to, uh, be based on Firefox, let me know. Yeah, well, we'll totally give you some good love there. Finally, <laughs> if your browser unexpectedly closed and you need to reopen tabs or site that didn't restore correctly. So we know Firefox has done mm. a lot of work in this area. Generally, mm. if you have a crash or something, you can open it. It says, do you want to restore the tabs? There have been times where I'm like so frustrated that I go, it just is a pop-up to me. And I'm like, no. And I'm like, crap, I really did need it to restore the tabs. Um, <laughs> so the good news is they thought about people like me. And you could go to the hamburger menu, click history, go to recently closed tabs and open any of your missing tabs yeah. and restore the session right there. <laughs> yeah, that's very uh, cool. So Firefox is an incredibly powerful tool. There's so many things inside of it that you can get into, explore, and become more of an expert with. And of course, if you have some awesome tips on Firefox or browsing in general that you want to share you can send us an email might yeah. show up in the show and also yeah. there's a we're gonna be a thread for this episode on the destination linux forum so go to dlnforum.com and you can have uh you can put your tips there because we'd be very much interested in seeing what you have on your browser whether it's vivaldi firefox or whatever as long as it's not chrome and anything any browser yeah. <laughs> totally fine and uh, there's also uh, eh, there's there's I'll a lot <laughs> there's a lot of uh, options for browsers, but there's also a lot of cool stuff you can do in Firefox. And you mentioned the whole uh, history thing. You can do like the r r uh, bringing back closed tabs. There's also a session saving feature. You should oh, definitely cool. turn that on. Yeah. That is awesome. You go into <laughs> yeah. preferences and there's a little checkbox that says save the session on the next restore. And then you can just close Firefox whenever you want to. And it will automatically pull back all the tabs you want. And it's awesome. Uh, and, and also... Uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm gonna. I'm going into many, many more because I just. I, I can't help it. Firefox. Yeah, we love the Firefox. Yeah, Firefox <laughs> also has your history in the sidebar. You hit Control H and boom, and there's a bunch of other stuff in the sidebar. Explore. Save it for another show, Ex Michael. Uh, yeah. There, there's so much. I have plenty more. I have plenty more. Let's okay. There's let's so let's much to fill your brains with. Exactly. Well, here, here's a tip. As uh, Ryan had uh, mentioned, I believe, yeah, last week is before Firefox, it was Firebird. Well, do you guys know what, what it was called before that? Phoenix. Yes, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Thank goodness you knew that, Michael, because I was just going to stare at the camera. Awesome. Well, I, I'm a big fan of Firefox, and I was using uh, Firefox when it was... It was either when it was Phoenix or Firebird. I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was really close when they did switch. And you were talking about the whole, uh, we were talking about things being changed, like names being changed and you know people not liking change or mm -hmm. whatever. And even though after a little while the change doesn't really matter that much in in retrospect in a lot of the times there was a really anti thing when they went from phoenix to firebird they did not mm -hmm. like that so i remember yeah. that period of time yes i always thought you deal. were an ie person that's interesting <laughs> well i mean i also used internet explorer back in the time but that's that was a long time ago ryan i also used yeah. mosaic then too and netscape that's right yeah. and it's been three other months yeah. since that time and before it, it was Phoenix, it was Netscape. <laughs> so that's yeah, it where a lot of code yeah. comes from. Netscape Navigator. <laughs> yeah. All right. I have to stop you all now because that's the end of the show. So a big thank you to everyone for supporting us by watching or listening. However you do it, we love your faces. And if you want more deal, become a patron like all of these people. You can't see them because they're behind the scenes in our 600,000 square foot virtual right. stadium. And they have all of the space and room for activities and stuff Yay. here behind the scenes in this stadium that you don't Love have access to. Activities. <laughs> Step Brothers reference there. 
They get unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings at Destination Linux every Sunday in the patron-only show that only they get access to to become a patron on Patreon or sponsors. And in addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone, all of you, you're invited to watch and be a part of the show. Yeah, you can be a patron to join us in the virtual stadium, but you can also, if you want to just watch us live on YouTube or Twitch, we actually are on both of those too. But you know, go to DLNlive.com. Everywhere. Every, we're everywhere. We are everywhere. We're like Borg. Yes, and also <laughs> there is a new calendar. You can check out all the things that are happening on Destination Linux Network. Go to destinationlinux.network/calendar. You can check out everything that's happening this week. So much cool stuff. And also, in addition to that, you can go to dealinstore.com because there is a b- bunch of great merch and swag. Merch. We, we got uh, hoodies, we got mugs, we got shirts, we got hats, <laughs> we got uh, aprons, we got backpacks, we got stickers so much great stuff we got the shirt there's a rumor too michael that there's a jill shirt coming out there oh is my goodness. there is there's gonna be a jill shirt for all you fans to exactly. tell us how much you love jill more than us <laughs> you will be Aww. able to We're, swag it out should we make a jill. should we make a an a shirt for each of the hosts and see which one gets ours the- would never sell it would just be team jill <laughs> i mean i mean i mean i honestly i'd buy jill as a shirt too <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah the jill shirt is coming out soon we're gonna it's just a little bit teaser i'm not gonna tell you what it's like or what it's gonna look like or whatever but it will have a pink version guaranteed <laughs> and that's coming out so check out dealinstore.com <laughs> <laughs> and we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Deal and Extend, Hardware Addicts, yeah. GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with our latest show, the Fedora Podcast. Yeah. So go right now to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. That's awesome. And also what's funny is that, <laughs> you know, for those who don't know, if you watch the video, for some reason, Ryan decides to dab every week. no when idea. He, <laughs> and, and it's it's also really great. It was like a many weeks ago. There was a part where Ryan was like, "I forgot how to dab," and then yeah. I tried to <laughs> do the funny. I tried to do the joke for the this week at Linux when you, when it got to mine, and then I try, I forgot how to dab too. It, oh, it's more difficult yeah. than you think the dabbing thing. Yeah, I know it's so yeah. weird. It's so weird. Anyway, we also have speaking of the pseudo show as as Jill mentioned, yeah. there's also going to be the pseudo show hangout or the pseudo hangout that is happening this coming Thursday. At 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the 17th of you June. You mean I get to hang out you with can. the hosts of the pseudo show? You can. You can. <laughs> Am I invited, though? I know Jill's invited, I mean, but are I we mean, invited? I mean, Aww, yes. I, I think so. I'll have to check, okay. but I think so. Yeah. They might kick us out if we show up. We may or may not show up. I've been kicked out of we, more podcasts than just the pseudo show. <laughs> And almost this one in a second. Uh, pseudo, pseudo dot show slash hangout. If you want to find out about the, the get the the list of the schedule and everything to put it on your calendar and that kind of thing. So pseudo show pseudo dot show slash hangout. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Yay! I can do it. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, Michael. I remembered after I forgot again. <laughs> It's like that Family Guy episode where he's like, I forgot how to sit, and he just head first into the couch. You know, oh, that's what yeah, I feel like yeah. us forgetting how to dab is yeah. like. It's so weird. <laughs> What's funny is that when you for, you forgot the first time, I was like, how could you forget? And then when I did it, like, oh, my oh my goodness. <laughs> where do my hands go? go. <laughs> how did it happen? It's kind of like a, a, a third of the way to the floss. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Too much fun. All right, patrons, turn on your cameras, turn on your mics, come hang out with us. We're not that scary. Mike. <laughs> that was a fun episode. Yeah. That was so funny. I enjoyed that episode. It's awesome. <laughs> Love hearing that. You guys just want to get the Jill shirt, don't you? Yes. I'm gonna yes. 100%. It goes, Bill. This is the Destination Linux official exercise routine. Yeah, actually, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could do DLN exercise videos. I hear you can yeah. make millions off oh, those. Oh, yeah. DLN yeah. cardio. DLN cardio. You obviously have to do the whole thing on a standing desk. <laughs> yeah. And a stool. <laughs> a stool. Good or a stool. Or a stool. <laughs> We've got stool workout.